Live. Live from This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to today's episode of the Just End of Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. The NFL Draft is here coming up on Thursday. We are getting you ready for that today. We're going to do a deep preview into the NFL Draft. We'll be joined in just a bit by Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Great friend of the podcast. Covers college football for them. We're going to break down the top prospects in the class. Give you ideas of some of the guys who could go number one. Who the Jets and Giants are looking at, at the edge rusher, offensive line, receiver, some of those issues. I'll talk about that with Bill in just a bit. We're also going to do our second annual mock draft on the podcast. I'm going to be joined by Alan Austin. We're going to go through all 32 teams. We did the picks offline, try and make us a little more expedient for you guys. We're going to discuss the results of the draft, the picks we made in just a minute. We're also going to look at the two-minute drill this week. We're going to the ESPN 30 for 30 Shark on Greg Norman. I watched that at my thoughts at the end of the show. Before we get started with the podcast here, I want to mention here, if you like what you hear on the Just and the Suffering podcast, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just and the Suffering, your favorite podcast platforms. You find all episodes there. Feel free to give your feedback and star ratings as well. Help make the podcast even better going forward. Again, that is very important feedback. It'll help the audience make the shows even better in the future. So again, I highly recommend it. So please do that if you have an opportunity to do so. Check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. The video versions of the guest chats with Bill and Alan are going to be up there on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get into our opening tip. We're going to take a look at some draft headlines as the draft comes up on Thursday, the first round anyway. We'll start that right after this. Ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, NFL draft coming up on Thursday, first round, rounds two and three on Friday, four to seven on Saturday. A lot of intrigue heading into this draft. There is no top quarterback here, so we don't have Trevor Lawrence like Saviors coming. This does create some intrigue at number one. Because usually number one, you know long in advance of who's which quarterback is going where. Jackson's trying to pick between a bunch of top defensive ends, Aiden Hudson, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker. I think the Walker's up a smoke screen. I feel like this choice really down to Hudson and Thibodeau. Hudson does not have that superstar upside that guy like Miles Garrett had. He was the last non-quarterback to go number one to the Browns in 2017. What he does has is a solid floor. He's a 10 to 12 sack guy, help you anchor your defense. Thibodeau, on the other hand, he does have that star potential. There are, however, work at the questions with him. There are a lot of questions about, oh, does he care about football? Does he want to be a superstar? Does he care more about the off-field lifestyle? That could raise the bus risk here. The New York teams are going to be heavily involved early because both have two picks in the top 10. Each would prefer to make one and trade back from one, I would assume, in the perfect world. Jets are up first at four. They've heavily been linked to Thibodeau. Robert Sala has made it clear he wants to add edge rusher to that defense. If both Hutchinson and Thibodeau are gone, they can shift their gears to the offensive line, get Ikemekwanu from NC State. 
critical insurance for he if both tackles is there. You could start for them in 2023. Because remember, George fans be a free agent. He had a bad first year, good second year. And if he regresses, Makai Becton didn't play at all last year, apart from a few snaps in the opener. Questions there. Aquanu would give them big insurance. If both of the top edge guys are gone, and so is Aquanu, then I think you're either looking at second-tier edge guy, corner, maybe a trade back. We'll see. The Giants are at 5-7. and seven. You figure one of those two picks is going to be an offensive tackle. There's a crop of three. It seems like all three are gone by five. Giants figure grab one. They love to trade back from the other pick, try and get a first in 2023. They draft a quarterback in a stronger group of quarterbacks. But Darryl Slayers in the pocket a few weeks ago. It's not going to be easy to find the team to get up that high. It's going to be part of the future one to do it. If they do end up staying here, I look at a cornerback like Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati, edge rusher possibility because there's a couple of the top tier there. Help bolster that defense. The Jets' second pick is at 10. They figure being the market receiver at that pick. They can have their pick of the litter if everything goes according to plan. The top guys here, Ohio State's Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, USC's Drake London, Arkansas's Traylon Burks. So find that go-to guy for Zach Wilson is very important. The Jets could also shop either the number 10 pick or their two second rounds try and get one of those veteran receivers, more of a proven commodity. That's Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, all whom are in the market to get new contracts. So we'll see if they end up making a deal. If they do end up trading for the receiver and use their two twos to do it, you could trade back then and recoup some of the assets. The Jets could look at a team like Pittsburgh with number 20, New Orleans 16 and 19. I feel like either is desperate to get a quarterback to try and lure them up here. The Giants did that last year. They used a 10th pick. It went back 10 spots to the Bears. The Bears got Justin Fields and sent their 2022 first rounder to the Giants. Joe Douglas love to do that. Here's the thing about this class right now is the quarterbacks. We're arguably the worst group to come out of college since 2013. EJ Manuel is the only one picked round one that year, went 16 the Bills. That tells you all you need to know. The only two guys right now who appear to be first round locks, Malik Willis out of Liberty. Ton of potential. Needs a lot of work though. It did not play a great competition level in college. Pittsburgh's Penny Kickett, solid floor, helped Pitt win the ACC last year. Might not be a franchise guy. All it takes, though, is one team to fall over the quarterback, or that can create trade opportunities. That's push the talent down the board for the other teams. In the top 10, you're watching Carolina and Atlanta. Atlanta just dealt Matt Ryan away. Carolina's looking for a quarterback for a few years. I would watch the Saints, watch the Steelers. Detroit 32, if they see a guy they like, they could just take him and have the fifth-year option. Maybe the Colts just trade Matt Ryan, trade back in round one. They have a guy they like long-term. There's a lot of intrigue here. We'll get it all started by diving into my conversation with Bill Bender, the Sporting News, who is joining us to break down all the top prospects and more right after this. All right, I am back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, getting ready for the NFL Draft. Joining me today, break down some of the top prospects from this year's college football class. He covers college football for the Sporting News. Great friend of the podcast, Bill Bender is here. Bill, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. Not a problem. Thanks for coming on, as always. And I want to say, I want to start off here, get your general take on this draft class, because I've heard a lot of scuttlebutt over the years about how this is not an elite group of prospects that, you know, there's more depth in the group where they don't have that overall star. What's your general thought on this group of players that's about to enter the NFL? Well, you'll hear that anytime there's not a lot of elite quarterbacks or a you know sexy quarterback pick, so to speak. So, 
Yeah, I, I still think there's plenty of talent in the draft. I mean, it's obviously, and we'll get into it here in a minute, uh, the receivers are very talented, um, and that's a position that's grown with importance in each year. There's a lot of good offensive and defensive linemen, but any year when the discussions about whether or not a defensive or offensive lineman or an edge rusher is going to be number one, I think in general there's probably a little less excitement. Yeah, for sure. Right now it seems like that the top overall pick, I mean, unless the Jaguars are playing mind games with us here, could be Aiden Hutchinson out of Michigan. He came on strong this year, 12 sacks of the Wolverines. And there are questions about, like, well, you know, this is a great floor guy as opposed to a big ceiling guy. Obviously, you got a chance to see him a lot, play a lot this year with Michigan. What do you think about Aiden Hutchinson? He's really good. I mean, he's probable talent. Like, it depends on what you're asking for or asking me. So, like, if you're asking, is this guy going to be a J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, transcendent talent at the position? Maybe not. Is he going to be a guy that you can build a defense around on the edge? Um, gets you 10 to 12 sacks a year when he when he gets settled in and, and be a high-effort leader-type guy, then I think he can do that. I mean, it wasn't a one-year wonder thing in Michigan. He did it two years ago, got hurt the, the season after that, but he's been a steady player for the uh, Wolverines for the last three seasons. Yeah, I think that's something I think that's very interesting because you have at the bay up top whether he's the safer pick, where I think the best prospect in the group is uh, Oregon's Kayvon Thibodeau. But there have been a lot of questions about does he like football? Is he motivated to be as good as he can be? And I know that both New York teams have done a lot of work on Thibodeau. What do you think about him so far? I feel like there's a lot of ranges of where he could do. Well, that's the thing, right? So, so he's the guy that probably if you wanted to go on upside, his upside's probably a little higher than Hutchinson's. It, it, the talent is there. I've, you know, you go back to the UCLA film from last year, and it's spectacular what he was able to do. And he was hurt a little bit last year. He is, you know, like you said, football. People wonder if that's all he if he's if he's focused. But you know, on the field, he's pretty good. So I, I think that is something that's very interesting. The Jets, w- it would make sense to get a guy like Thibodeau, but there's also a bust potential there. Yeah, there absolutely is. And let's say for a second here that uh, Trent Balky and the Jaguars called you up and said, Bill, we're thinking about Hutchinson or Thibodeau for the top pick. Which one would you tell them you you would like more? It's a tough call. It's why I'm not a NFL general manager. <laughs> I just write about this stuff. Um, I'd probably go with Hutch. I think Hutch is a guy, like I said, given everything that happened in Jacksonville last year with the circus around Urban Meyer and uh, – you know, that, that you need guys around your locker room. But, you know, on one end, you're building your offense around Trevor Lawrence, who's a great locker room guy. You get Travis Etienne back. Um, and then Hutch on the defensive side, that's not bad. Uh, I mean, there's some good pieces. You're in a weak division. And, you know, Thibodeau, I'd be tempted, no doubt, because Thibodeau's a really good high upside player who can dominate a game. But I think Hutch, I'd give him the slight edge. And I think that's what's going to happen when the draft happens. Yeah, I think so, too. I think in terms of the quarterback, as you mentioned, it's sort of a down group. It was the first year we're not going to have a quarterback taken number one since Miles Garrett went in 2017 to the Browns. And I know that class produced Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, but it feels like a lot of people are saying this is more of like the 2013 draft where the top quarterback was E.J. Manuel. He was not very good in the NFL, and not really a lot coming out of it. So in terms of the quarterbacks that are here, like who do you think is the top guys on the board? Well, I mean, that's it's interesting because you could say Malik Willis. I mean, there again, there's the upside argument. He had a good combine, has great personality, um, big arm, and, uh, you know, 
played well. He didn't play great against Old Miss, and but I mean, if that's at the same time, that's Liberty against Old Miss. Um, so, and then there's Kenny Pickett. I like him a lot, and I like Matt Corral and Desmond Ritter as well. So the problem is, I don't think any one of those guys franchise quarterback, including Pickett. I'm not sure they can be, and I think these guys are trending that you know five years from now, most of these guys will probably be backups. Yeah, I think the the thing I'm curious about here is like we had a guy like Mac Jones last year. He was the fifth quarterback off the board board in the draft year. You think we take Mac Jones over all these guys? You know, Mel Kiper was talking about that question on a conference call the other day, and I think uh, the answer is yes. I think Mac Jones would be the first quarterback drafted in this draft, and maybe it's a coin flip with Willis because Willis offers some some things in the rushing game and with his arm. To be honest, arm strength and those kind of things. Um, that would make it tough, but yeah, I, I think Max. It, it's hindsight twenty twenty type deal, but you know you got to give Bill Belichick credit for having the foresight to take Mac Jones when some other teams were passing on him. Yeah, certainly true. Now, let's let's take a look at some of the positions here. I think that are in good shape, especially if you're looking for an offensive line, particularly a tackle. I think you're in good luck on top of this draft. There are a lot of good candidates up there. So, who do you think are some of the top linemen we could be watching here in the draft? Well, Icky Quanu. Evan Neal, I mean, he didn't work out in the combine, but just the sheer massiveness of him and uh, what he can bring, I think those two guys right off the bat are going to be really highly regarded, taking really quick, and it's not going to take long. They're not going to have to wait too long to have their name called. I mean, when you have those two, um, pretty easy from there, right? I mean, it is it is a, a good talent. Those two are the two that are talented. Kenyon Green's another one that, curious about from the standpoint of I'm seeing him pop up on a lot of mocks including I'm a Packers fan and I and he was a sporting news all-american type player but can he be that player um at the next level and be that versatile I think that's a question worth asking yeah I think the thing I like about the top two tackles here in Aquanu and Evan Neal is that they're both very versatile I mean Aquanu played I think four different positions for NC State Neil can play right tackle or kick inside. I think that's got to be very valuable if you're trying to fill that offensive line, have chess piece like that. It can maneuver as you need. Oh, for sure. And then, you know, Charles Cross is another one that's huge. The guy that I've really liked, and I don't know how high is too high to draft the center, is Tyler Linderbaum. Um, you know, he obviously he went viral every other week with his blocks where he was burying guys like 15 yards down the field. Um question about his arms like how long his arms are will he be able to get get into people at the next level but I mean if the technique's good the arms don't matter as much so I, I think he's a guy it just depends on what team wants him and I think some AFC North teams like the Bengals Ravens and maybe even the Steelers are going to be fighting over who can maybe grab him in the draft yeah I say he sounds like a perfect hit for the Bengals I know a recent mock draft from the Athletic also had the Jets train back in the first round to get him and they took a Big Ten center late in the first round many years ago. Nick Bangle worked out great for them. And the Jets could pull off again. That'd probably be good for them. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think he's he's definitely a guy that, that you're looking at. And, and like the Vinny Meyer, who does our mock drafts, for example, uh, has the Ravens taken him. And that's interesting to me. I mean, their, their history of maybe drafting a guy like Bozeman or Yonda and then being able to move those guys around. I mean, that's something, that flexibility that Linderbaum offers. But he's another safe pick at the offensive line in this draft. Absolutely. Let's go to the wide receivers here. And from all I've gathered so far, like 
It seems like these guys are a tick below the top of last year's board, which was the Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith group, but they're still a very good group of receivers. What do you think about the wideouts this year? Well, I mean, there's a big five of sorts, um, but it starts with the two Ohio State guys to me, Alave and Wilson. Kuyper, you know, again, talking to him the other day, he's really high on Garrett Wilson. He said he's the one that kind of projects like he could be in that Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson realm as a rookie. That's really high praise if you think about it, right? Because those two have been amazing. And uh, Chris Olave, a very clean route runner, I think he's going to have a great NFL career if that continues and if he's paired with the right quarterback. Jamison Williams, Drake London, obviously. Um, Phillip Burke. I mean, that's kind of that group that you think all five of them are going to get drafted in the first round. I think Jahan Dotson would be the sixth. So, you know, there could be six, seven wide receivers drafted in this draft. It's an incredibly deep and talented class. Absolutely is. And I think, I know the Packers now are been linked to a couple of these guys. I feel like if you get Chris Olave in Green Bay to work with Aaron Rodgers, that'd be a great fit. Well, and they, they got some room to maybe trade up and do it. And I think they might. Um, you know, that's a guy that you don't want to see end up in Chicago with Justin Fields or end up in Minnesota in the slot to go with uh, um, Jefferson and Thielen. And, you know, a couple of those mock drafts have them taking tight end. Um, Christian Watson from North Dakota State's another guy. that's kind of a curiosity. I watch his film, obviously, against FCS guys because he's 6'4 and fast, super fast. It kind of looks – I'm not making the comparison. It looks like Randy Moss on tape. Obviously, he's not the next Randy Moss. Yeah, that's for sure. And what do you think about Drake London, the USC guy? I know he had the ankle injury. It's kind of slowed his role a little bit this year. But the size he has and the speed that goes with it makes him a very intriguing guy. Oh, for sure. And, and you know, racked up a ton of receptions at USC with in-and-out quarterback play. Got hurt last year. Otherwise, if he doesn't get hurt, there's a pretty decent chance that I think he might be the first receiver off the board. And, you know, the it's kind of a coin flip between him and Olave to me. I, I would take either one, really. But uh, kind of a uh, who do you like better and what, what which receiver fits your scheme. But he's certainly a guy, him and uh, J-Mo as well, uh, Jameson Williams, if he doesn't get hurt in the Georgia game and you have that question with him, he could be the first receiver taken. So, yeah, it's just an incredibly talented group. Yeah, let's go to the guys who are covering that end up covering them in the NFL, the cornerbacks. I feel like there's two big names that could end up in the top ten here. Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati, Derek Stingley from LSU. Obviously, Gardner seems like on tape, like the, the best prospect in the group. He shut down opposing receivers in great lakes this year. Stingley had the great freshman year at LSU, and they won the title, but he was not the same since due to injuries and other factors. What do you think about those two guys? Uh, it's the same. I mean, if you want solid technique, know what you're getting, and probably a little bit more upside um, Gardner. I mean, he was incredible all season, and just for two years. Um, he's got that attitude about him that he's, he's the best corner out there. And I think that's something that he could really define a secondary, be a hard nosed guy in there. Um, Sing, Singley obviously has a little more maybe athletic ability. Um, the, and we've seen how phenomenal he can be, but it's been on and off with him the last couple of years and he was on some bad defenses. So can he be that shutdown corner? I mean, in the NFL, he could be a guy whose NFL career really takes off, but he's going to have to be in the right spot. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think another guy I think is an interesting prospect here 
We heard rumors for the combine. Oh, he might go as high as number two, Detroit, Kyle Hamilton. Obviously, some of the testing numbers he had in terms of the speed probably dropped him a little bit. He might fall off the top 10. We think about this guy because there was talk that maybe like he'd be the best safety prospect the NFL seen in like five, 10 years. No, I mean, yeah, he, he's really good and he covers a lot of ground and he's get there's a gap between him and the rest of the safeties in the draft. Um, you know, you watch some of his tape from Florida State early in the season before he got hurt. It was, this guy's the best player in the field. And, and you saw that over a couple seasons. Like, when Trevor Lawrence is talking about him from his Clemson days, is a guy you have to know where he's at at all times. That's pretty high respect. So I think he profiles as that different making safety for sure. The other guy that's moving up the board a little bit is Daxton Hill, Michigan guy. Uh, played with a lot of range, five-star safety. I like his game. Um and he's certainly somebody that uh, can, can move up the draft board. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's taken in the first round as well. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of position groups, obviously, this I feel like in like five years, like, oh, this is a draft where you needed like an edge rusher, for example. You can This is the draft to go get one. Is there one of those groups you say, like, if you're looking for X, this is the year to get it? Well, wide receiver and tight end. I mean, the tight end position, there's some guys, some day two guys like Dolchitz, UCLA. Um, McBride could be a day one guy, first round guy at tight end. I think that group, that position group is very deep and very talented. And uh, we talked about all those first round receivers, but when you can get a George Pickens on day two, that to me is how embarrassingly good that position group could be and, and will be in this particular draft. So I think receiver, tight end, obviously the game's become that with throwing the ball to those position groups. It, it's definitely pretty deep. Yeah, I know we talk about the quarterbacks obviously being a little thin. Like, are there any other groups that you're saying like if you want something here, it's gonna it might be a little tough to find the guys you're looking for. Well, corner and then like that inside linebacker type position. Um, when when the first corner could go off the board at 21, that's telling you something. Especially when you get a draft where there's eight, eight or nine receivers that are going to get drafted in the first two rounds. I mean, whether it's Trent McDuffie at Washington or or Kyler Gordon, the other Washington guy, that, that's pretty thin. There wasn't like a dynamic corner other than those two, you know, Gardner and uh, Peterson, obviously. Um, I mean, Stingley, sorry, I'm thinking <laughs> about Patrick Peterson, but uh, they, they're, the, they're the same kind of body type, I suppose. But uh, you know what I mean? Those, those, it's After those guys, it's not a great corner class. Yeah, absolutely. And my last question is here, like, I have heard almost nothing about the running backs in this year's class. I mean, I feel like we've heard years past, like, oh, like, these three guys are great. I feel like there's, like, seven names. I can't tell who's going to be the best of this group. Is this a year where, like, you have to be careful when you're picking a running back? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it is one of those positions that gets devalued, and that's no secret. Um, the, you know, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, they were productive guys for us. And at Sporting News, they, I, Brees Hall's the guy I really do like because I think he can catch the ball out of the backfield. Kenneth Walker's good yards after content, but contact. Um, you get that third and fourth round guy, then uh, you can wait on Kyron Williams. You can wait on some of those guys had disappointing combines too, right? Like Spiller, Kyron Williams, um, Brian Robinson. And then Hassan Haskins at Michigan had a monster year. He's a decent day three sleeper for me, though, because the way his style fits, an NFL team, if he landed in a place like Tennessee, which is where Vinny has him projected to go, I think he'd have a good career uh, behind Derrick Henry to start. Yeah, it'll certainly be some fun at the draft later this month. Uh, Bill, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. 
Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Check us out at Sporting News. We'll have tons of draft content over there. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. If you want to follow you directly on Twitter, how can they do that? Yeah, I'm at BillBender92. So, uh, and we've been doing this for quite a while. It's a lot of fun. I appreciate it. All right, we are back here on the Just and the Suffering podcast. We did a deep dive into the prospects with Bill Bennett of the Sporting News. Now we're going to do a mock draft here, second annual mock draft on the podcast. Last year we did it live with our guest and unofficial co-host Will Cyan. Did a little homework ahead of time, make us easier to digest. Join me once again, the great Alan Austin with us. Alan, how are you? I'm well, Mike. How are you today? Very good. I'm excited to do the mock draft again. It was a lot of fun, and we were doing this offline last night, doing the picks. So it was definitely entertaining to see the direction we were going. Absolutely, and it's one of my my favorite days of the year, specifically the first round of the NFL draft. There's so much excitement. There's so much hype. And for the two of us, whose favorite teams each have two top ten picks, it's going to be extra exciting. You know, whether or not those picks are remaining in the top ten when the draft actually comes, we shall see. But as of now, both of our teams have two in the top ten. Very, very exciting. Absolutely. So to set up the stakes here, Al and I did the drafting over two days via text. We are recording on Tuesday. Uh, April 19th, the draft is coming up on Thursday when you're listening to this. So if there is a big trade between now and then, we're sorry, but just scheduling-wise, this is when we had to do it. Absolutely. And it's not like, I I would think, Mike, and correct me if I'm wrong, the people who are trading are the people who are going to just try and get one of these very few quarterbacks in the draft. I don't see anyone really moving up for positions because there's a lot of good, talented, skilled position players in this draft. Yeah, I was referring more to the possibility that like maybe one of these veteran receivers gets traded, whether it's like a yeah, Debo that's Sam- always possible. Debo yeah. Samuel, AJ Brown, somebody like that. But I feel like that's going to be closer to the actual draft than this far out. Absolutely. All right. So to reset here, we are going through here. Allen did the odd picks. I did the evens. There was no trading involved. Though when we get specific teams, we can mention teams we think might trade, but it was just too complicated to say, "Oh, we're going to trade," you know. 16 and 19 for number seven. We're not going to do that on this exercise. Correct. All right. So we're going to go through here four at a time. So we'll get some quick takeaways here. Number, pick number one, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Allen has them taking Michigan defensive end Aiden Hutchinson. Number two, I have the Lions taking George defensive end Trayvon Walker. Number three, Allen has the Texans taking NC State offensive tackle Ikem Aquanu. And at four, I have the Jets taking Oregon defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau. Let's start at the top here, Alan. Why was Hutchinson the top pick for the Jags? So it, it, there's no there's no lock consensus one, but he's at the top of most boards. He seems like he's going to be a reliable NFL pro, and I think Doug Peterson taking over that franchise has to be like just foaming at the mouth, ready to have him join his defensive core. This is a new, this is a new team, you know, a year after the urban Meyer debacle, I think they're going to go with the safest pick. And at this point, the safest pick is also arguably the best. So I just think it's too good a pick to have Hutchinson slip by, even with a stack defensive end edge rusher class. I think he's the safe pick. And I think he's the pick Doug Peterson will make to head into his Jaguars tenure. Yeah, I agree. I think the Trayvon Walker talk has been popping up the last week or so. I think it's a big smoke screen. I think it's a lot of just trying to divert attention to what their true intentions are, which to me, I don't always get unless you're not sold the guy number one. You're looking for somebody to trade there, but nobody's going to think he's going to trade out this year. 
I never, yeah, you're right. I never understand why the first overall team needs to throw smoke screens around. They're going to get who they want. So what's the point? Yeah, it is what's the point. On this bat, I also got to mention here, I have the Jets taking Thibodeau at number four. I know there's been a lot of talk about, you know, oh, does he care about football? Is there a bus potential here? Because this talk we heard about his lawsuit, let's talk we heard about Josh Rosen. Now, oh, does he have bigger interest in football? We saw what happened to Rosen here. But I think given the fit between the team and the system, I think Thibodeau has to be the pick for the Jets. I think if he falls to four, which I think is highly likely, the Jets, if they scoop him up, it would be a real, real nice find at four because he was the pre- like pre-real draft dig before the college football season, he was the number one overall prospect. So to have him fall to four, he's still super talented. I know there are some question marks, but I think that'd be great value at four for a player like Thibodeau for the Jets. Absolutely. Let's go to the next four picks here, five to eight. The Giants at five. Allen's taking Ole Miss offensive tackle Charles Cross. I have the Panthers taking Alabama offensive tackle Evan Neal at six. At seven, Allen has the Giants taking Florida State defensive end Jermaine Johnson. And at eight, I have the Falcons taking Liberty quarterback Malik Lillis. So let's start with the two Giant picks here. So you have the Giants taking Charles Cross over Evan Neal. Why'd you make that choice? Mainly because he's been linked to the Giants more. Uh, they really, really love his polish coming out of college. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a huge transition period to the NFL. And I think that really entices the coaching staff. And it's so weird to me that Evan Neal has seemingly done nothing wrong, but he's one of those players that keeps slipping in the draft board. And I think teams are just falling in love with Ikuanu and Cross more so than Neal. But I think all three are top-tier talent, and to get any one of those three is to really improve your offensive line. And I went with Cross simply because he seems to be the name the Giants are most infatuated with of the three. Yeah, I gave Neal the Panthers, too. I thought there was, I thought about giving a quarterback there, but they have so many offensive lines. You feel like a guy like Neal could play about three or four different spots make a lot of sense for them. Yeah, the Panthers are the most intriguing, probably, of these top you know, six, seven picks, mainly because Matt Rule's in a make-or-break year. Sam Darnold's getting paid a ton of money. They've got to figure out what they're doing, and I really think whoever they draft that quarterback is going to be under a new regime next year anyway, and they might just be a lame duck draft pick. I feel like what the Panthers should do as an organization is take the pick away from Rule and draft an offensive lineman that they can keep for whoever comes next, because I really don't think the Panthers are going to be all that good. I could see Rule getting fired. So I think from an organization, organizational standpoint, I love your pick. Yeah, I think so, too. The Giants pick at seven. You have them taking Jermaine Johnson. This is a spot that could be traded out of. I, If I was doing the pick, I would I would consider Ahmad Garner because obviously they have the James Bradbury situation still going on here. So why Johnson? Yeah, I, I thought about the Bradbury, uh, Bradbury uh, Sauce Gardner thing. To me, Sauce is the hot player of the week. I feel like a lot of people are jumping on his bandwagon, and for good cause. But I think with these really elite edge rushers, to nail one of them down and get them on the roster would be fantastic. And I think, you know, a good pass rush makes an average corner better. So if you can really stack that defensive line, I know they weren't good last year, but to add Johnson, who kind of shadows as a 4-3 defensive end, 3-4, you know, outside linebacker, to get that kind of versatility, pair him with Ozolari, who you hope improves this year, and I think that'd be a really nice tandem. And I just think that is the more enticing situation for me personally. But if they go with Gardner, I wouldn't be upset. 
Yeah, I think that makes some sense as well. I can see the logic behind that pick. And I took Willis number eight for the Falcons. And I think as the Australian Matt Ryan, they don't have a long-term quarterback. Answer. They signed Marcus Mario to be a bridge quarterback there. And I think they're in the ideal situation where they have a innovative young offensive coach. They have a quarterback who can help mentor Willis who needs some time on the sideline here. I think they are off in the rebuild. They can say, okay, we'll take Willis, sit him for a year, and then he's hopefully ready to play by year two. I think it makes sense for them to do that here. I do too. Um, as the by the way, we'll talk quarterbacks real quick. He's probably my favorite of this group, but it is a shallow pool. Very shallow pool. I think it's one thing that, like, if the pick here is Willis, I think the Giants could obviously keep an eye on here at seven. They're trying to trade out of that pick and get a future one. So you could look at a team maybe like New Orleans or Pittsburgh if they love Malik Willis and say, "Hey, the Falcons probably going to take it behind us. If you want to beat to make sure you get him, go go ahead up here and get him." Yeah, and you know you would know more about this, but I heard a rumor that the Giants can't keep their two top ten picks simply because of budget. So they seemingly are forced to move one of them, which would be heartbreaking. But I, if we can get another one out of it, I wouldn't be that upset. I don't think they have to. I think they could just. I think this is where Bradbury comes in. They're gonna basically his money's end up freeing up the money to pay these picks if they have to stay there. But I do think that that they would prefer to get another one next year in case they want to draft a quarterback next season which is going to be the better class this season's class i think you know you're getting a little bit of your classic pre-draft overhype just because quarterbacks the money position and they want to sell quarterbacks come draft time you know to the general public but i do think we are overreaching on this year's classes honestly i don't think there are any real true first round quarterbacks in this draft at least top end of the first round yeah absolutely let's go to the next four picks here Allen gave the Seahawks uh, the aforementioned Gar- Sauce Gardner in corner from Cincinnati. At 10, with the Jets' second pick, I had to take Ohio State wide receiver Garrett Wilson. 11, the newly minted Washington Commanders are taking Notre Dame safety Kyle Hamilton. And number 12, with the Vikings taking LSU cornerback Derek Stingley. So let's take a look at that Jets' second pick here with the Garrett Wilson thing, which is they've been doing a lot of homework on the receiver class. They've had basically every top receiving prospect come to Florham Park to talk to them. I think they're still trying to get the proven receiver where they could have a guy like AJ Brown or Debo Samuel come in and be the guy right away. But I think if they stay put at 10, I think they're taking receiver. Now why Garrett Wilson over the others? That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. I think in terms of just, you know, pure route running ability, I think he's the most polished of the group. Drake London has upside in terms of his physical tools, but I think they want a guy who's more of a, classic guy that can move all around the field as opposed to like a true burner like Drake London has. No, I, I think if you're the Jets, you want to give people that Wilson can rely on who are probably a little bit more polished than some of the other prospects. So I think you sacrifice certain skills over reliability at this point for where the Jets are at. That's just my viewpoint of it. Yeah, I think that makes some sense here. And all the secondary guys need to fit in good spots. Derek Stingley, I'm fascinated with the Vikings because obviously he had the tremendous freshman year at LSU. They need a cornerback badly. I think if he is healthy, Stingley can be a great value for them. Absolutely. And I, in my full mock draft, I have them taking him as well. He's a guy who is seemingly medium risk, high reward. So I think if he falls to them there, it's a big, big win for their organization. All right. Go to the next four picks here. Allen's the Houston Texans taking George defensive tackle Jordan Davis. I have the Ravens taking Purdue defensive end George Carl Aftis. Allen has the Eagles taking Alabama wide out of Jameson Williams. And I have the Saints taking Northern Iowa offensive tackle Trevor Penning to help replace uh, 
the departed Teron Armstead who signed in Miami here. Let's talk about the Jameson Williams pick, which the Eagles have been taking a wide receiver the past two years of the first round. They took Jalen Rager in 2020. In 2021, they took Devonta Smith. They go back to the Alabama well here. Why did you give them Jameson Williams? So a couple reasons. One is if Jalen Hurts is going to you know succeed, he can't just keep heaving the ball down the field to Devontae and, and Rager and some of these guys and hoping for the best. Williams is a massive talent who can fit in the slot where he can be their kind of you know Tyreek Hill-esque type player. So you can have Hurts get rid of the ball quickly, dump it off to you know the six-foot Williams who can run like a madman and just kind of open up that offense. I think he's the perfect fit for the Eagles. And I'm, I'd be actually shocked if he falls to them. I don't necessarily think he will. But if he does and they can get him, just a tremendous pickup for them. And it kind of reminds me the way they've been drafting receivers, the way the Lions did a few years back, which I know you remember well, where year after year the Lions just took receiver, receiver, receiver. And the Eagles are there now because they've missed on a couple and Jalen Rager doesn't seem to be the guy. So Devontae and Jameson, both Alabama, guys coming in to help Hurts, I just think that would add a whole new element to that Eagles offense, which Hurts specifically desperately needs the option. Yeah, Williams is a fascinating guy for me to watch. Obviously, I think if he doesn't tear his ACL like in like in the playoff there, I think that he is probably the top receiver off the board. I know the Jets have talked to him. I think it isn't where you're going to sacrifice some short term from 2022. Maybe he doesn't start the season on time, but maybe he has the best long-term upside of the entire class. And I think his style of play, A, helps him get back on the field in a uh, strategic standpoint quicker because, you know, he can be a short burst guy. And I, I don't I don't think that he will be intimidated by the NFL. So I think he'd be a really nice addition to that team. All right, let's go to the next four picks here. Number 17 to 20, Al has the Chargers taking Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd. I have the Eagles taking Washington quarterback Trent McDuffie with their second first-round pick. Allen has the Saints taking Ohio State wide receiver Chris Olave. And number 20, I have the Steelers taking the second quarterback of the first round. Quarterback Kenny Pickett from Pitt, so a homecoming for him. So let's start with Devin Lloyd here. Why did you give him the, the Chargers? Chargers are looking to improve that defense. I know they took a first-round uh, linebacker. But he's a really nice professional player. And he really improved his passing. You know, that AFC West is a passing division. And he really improved his passing defense over the last couple of years. And he's going to be a good guy who can rotate in and out. He's a good first and second down linebacker. He's a great tackle for a lost guy. I think he'll just add some nice, you know, prevention defense from the run for those teams on early downs. Now, the one knock would be that he is more of a you know, first, second down linebacker, but he is probably the best linebacker in this draft, depending on who you ask. I know there's a lot of people who have different opinions, but I think he is a starting, you know, outside linebacker in the NFL right now. And I think the Chargers would love to have that. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of Kenny Pickett here, I know the Steelers just had Ben retire. They signed Mitch Trubisky to a short-term contract here, but I think they've been doing their work all the quarterbacks. I think Pickett being from Pitt, Staying home, that could be a good fit for them. I think their war position where they feel like, you know, we have good defense, we have good support around the quarterback, and we get a guy who is a solid start, we can win with him. So I feel like that's why they're going to take the uh, picket here if he's there. There are certain quarterbacks in certain systems who play better than they are. I mean, I don't know how you feel about Mac Jones, but 
I think if he was in another system on another team, he wouldn't have done anything last year. And I think Pickett's the same guy. He's got to find the right system where he can succeed. And if it isn't, he's a career backup, and that'll be that. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. Go down 21-24. to 24. You have the Patriots taking Iowa Center, Tyler Linderbaum. I had the Packers giving Aaron Rodgers a weapon of USC wide receiver Drake London. Atlanta, the Cardinals, dressing the cornerback knee with Clemson's Andrew Booth Jr. And the Cowboys bolster their offensive line with Boston College guard Zion Johnson. I'll start with Linderbaum of the Patriots. I think it's probably the more interesting picks of this group. Sure. Well, I think Linderbaum is, you know, by, by skill, a top 10 player in the draft. The problem is he's a center, and there's very little value taking a center that high in the draft. I think if Belichick sees a player of his capacity, although he might be limited to center, but he might be able to move to guard. And I just think if Belichick sees him sitting there as talented as he is, he's not going to let him go. Yeah, plus there's the connection with Iowa with Kirk Ferentz, the head coach there. So I'm sure he's gotten all the information he needs on Linderbaum from Ferentz. Absolutely. I think that would be a classic Patriots pick if he's the fault to them. Yeah. I think in terms of the receivers here, I gave Drake London to the Packers. He could, I feel like Aaron Rodgers has been asking for years for more weapons. They just traded away Devontae Adams. They lost Marquez Valdez Scantling here. They do need some help on the outside. I think getting a guy like Drake London, Rodgers will be able to help him get very good very fast. I also think London, who's not running his 40, still has that nagging ankle injury, which is why. That's my assumption why he's not running it. Um, a guy like Rodgers makes receivers better. So I think at that point, the Packers can truly pick who they think is the best receiver and go from there. All right, eight more picks to go. We'll go from 25 to 28 now. Alice, the Bills taking Penn State wide out Jahan Dotson. I have a Titans taking Georgia linebacker Nicobe Dean. Alice, the Buccaneers taking Michigan safety Daxton Hill. I had the Packers at their second taking Georgia defensive tackle Devontae Wise. A couple of Bulldogs and you have the national championship team. But Dotson's the Bills, I think it's interesting here because I know they let Cole Beasley go. They signed Jameson Crowder in the offseason off to help fill that void. I feel like Dotson's filling another slot sort of niche for them. Yeah, and, and the thing about Dotson is he's a little bit more versatile than your average receiver in terms of where he can go on the field. Like, he's 5'11", but he can be the burner on the sidelines and go up the field, and then he could slide in the slot. And, and, you know, I know you said they sound Crowder, but I think Dotson has way more upside than Crowder does at this point. And, you know, he's a, he's a three-sport athlete. He's a guy who's super athletic. And I think they love getting athletes around Josh Allen who can do different things. He can spread the offense. Like I said, he can be a perimeter you know, receiver, but he can also go across the middle if you need him to. I think there's a lot to like about Dotson, and I think if the Bills were to get him, that'd be a great pickup for them. Yeah, I think it'd be more of a luxury pick for Buffalo where they have so much else. And they say, you know, we can take a guy who we think could be really good in year two. Well, I think, honestly, they're going to try and model themselves after the Chiefs and get as many you know, offensive weapons as possible going forward for Josh Allen. Yeah, speaking of the Chiefs, they have the next two picks are our final four picks of the first round here. So you have them taking Michigan defensive end David Ajabo at 29. I have them taking Georgia wideout George Pickens at 30. 31, you have the Bengals taking Auburn corner Roger McCreary. And then I wrap up the first round, the Lions taking Georgia safety Lewis Seen. So let's start the two Chiefs picks. Why did you have Ajabo going here? I know he was protecting going possibly early his top 15 before he had the injury at the workouts and now he's a, might miss a significant portion of 2022 right and the fact that the chiefs have the two first rounders 
I think gives them the ability to sign him, you know, for a relatively low first round deal. And because they have the two picks, they they can wait and have them kind of rehab and get back to where he needs to be. It was heartbreaking when he went down. But I think with the two late first rounders, to get somebody who may, if he was healthy, have slid up in the draft room, I think to get him and kind of stash him until he's healthy would be a great pickup for them. Yeah, I think in terms of Pickens, too, they do need a receiver after they trade Tyreek Hill, the Dolphins. They did sign MVS and Juju Smith-Schuster, but I do think they've been linked to Pickens a lot. They've worked him out a lot, and I think he's a guy kind of gone under the radar in terms of receivers here in the Chiefs. I think this is one where if they don't think he's going to go because they're trading back in the second round, just taking him there, but I think since we're not trading, I'm just going to take him right here. Yeah, I think the Chiefs are in a really nice spot with these two late first-rounders, and I'm very intrigued to see what they do. Yeah, I think they're a prime, like, pick one, trade one spot, I think, in my opinion. For sure, for sure. I could totally see them trading the 30, the, either one, the 29th or 30, doesn't matter. Probably the 30 is just out of what makes sense. And picking up, like, an extra, you know, third and fourth rounder for an early to mid-second rounder. I, I could see that. Yeah, because this is a spot of the draft where you look at it and you say, oh, like, this is where some of these quarterbacks, could, like the third, fourth, fifth rounds here, Matt Corral's, and that kind of group, like, they could go here if teams want to get into the first round and get that fifth-year option, which is the value when you have these quarterbacks. Absolutely, and and I, I've been hearing more buzz about Ritter as well, so I could see Corral and Ritter going late in the first round for sure. That's where I think Detroit 32 is. I had them taking Lewis Seen because I think they have a bigger, they have a huge knee at safety, and he'll be a big asset there. But if they like a quarterback here, whether it is uh, Ritter or Corral, and they would be better off just to take them here and make sure you have the fifth-year option as opposed to waiting one pick and taking them at 33. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I don't get the vibe that the Lions love any of these quarterbacks, but I could be completely wrong. This is also another prime trade-off spot, I think, of Detroit sitting at 32, and I'm looking at teams that could see value in trying to get a quarterback here. I'm looking at maybe the Colts, since they're pick, picking relatively early in the second round, you can know. Get up here. I know they just got Matt Ryan. They don't have a long-term plan. If you like Matt Corral, let's get him and develop him. Absolutely. I can see that as well. Absolutely. So that's our mock draft. So we'll see how wrong we are about a week, about uh, five days. So, Alan, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Mike, it was a pleasure. And, you know, New York football is in a good place for the draft night. Not so much afterwards. Jets more so than Giants in a better spot. But at least for this draft night, it'll be super exciting for our two franchises. Absolutely. If you want to find social media, I'm going to do that. On Twitter at Allen, A-L-L-E-N underscore Austin underscore. And on Instagram at Allen Austin Sports. All right, Alan. Thanks all the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. I wrap up the week here. Take a look back at the latest 30 for 30 from ESPN Shark. Talking about Greg Norman's career and most notably his collapses late in majors, including the 1996 Masters, where he had a six-stroke lead on the final day of the tournament, ended up losing it to Nick Faldo. And I don't understand why ESPN waited two weeks to air this. It was really scheduled to air on April 5th, which had been right before the Masters. It made a lot of sense. Instead, they pushed it back two weeks to air a regular season NBA game. And I think it hurts this a little bit. Because I don't think, from what I saw, there was very little like promotional appeal to this, even though I thought it was pretty good, and there was not a lot of attention to it. 
I think if you had this sort of as the lead up to the Masters from ESPN, I think it would be a lot more sense, but I digress. The That was a good job sort of chronicling the career of Greg Norman, who was one of the best golfers of the 80s and the early 90s. Did not win as many majors as we thought he could based on his talent level. I mean, he wins two British Opens, and that's it. He finishes second it combined eight times at the other three Grand Slams, including three times in the Masters. We see, I learned a lot about Greg Norman, because all I knew about him prior to this was, you know, oh, he's the guy who chokes late, but they did a good job to pick some of the ridiculous shots that happened against Norman in some of these tournaments that he ends up losing. And you say, wow, that guy was actually pretty snake bit. And this thing that they broke down the pairing of that final round in 1996 ended up working out there where a par from Nick Faldo late in the third round of the Masters gave him the final pairing slot with Norman. If he misses it, it probably would have gone to Phil Mickelson, a young Phil Mickelson who had not really won anything yet. And Phil, as Norman admits, is more of a loosey-goosey guy, have fun with him, whereas like he thinks that if he played with Phil instead of Faldo, he would have won because Faldo was basically his big rival. He was stone-faced. He was showed steadiness, and if you started to wobble, he took advantage of it. Definitely a lot of fun. I think the best part of this thing was the fact that they actually brought uh, Norman back to Augusta and let him replay some of those holes that he collapsed on in 96, and seeing those shots, seeing him watch the tournament for the for the first time since that late collapse in 96 happened, I think was definitely very interesting. Probably the best part of this. Overall, it was a very fun 30 for 30. I think if you're a golf fan, you'll get a lot of it. I think I learned something from it, which is definitely good value for me. But if you're not a golf fan, if this does not appeal to you directly, I can see why you would skip it. I think it's worth a look, though. It's 90 minutes, a little short of commercials, but I think definitely a worthwhile entry in the 30 for 30 series. At that, I want to thank our guests for this week's show. Let's wrap everything up here. I want to thank Bill Bender for the Sporting News, hopping on giving me a dive into the prospects of this week's NFL draft. I also think Alan Austin were doing our big mock draft earlier in the week. A lot of fun. See how close we are on this, how wrong Alan and I end up on this. I'm sure we're going to get a lot of picks wrong, but if we get more than like a handful right, that's a big win. You know, I guess I like this podcast, including my review of the Batman. I finally got around to a, you know, trying to get to a three-hour movie when, in the middle of the NCAA tournament when you're doing a lot of NCAA tournament coverage. is hard, so got it on HBO Max. Give me my thoughts on Check out the blog over justonthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. The Obi-Wan Cut Series continues. Episode 2 came out last Thursday. Clone Wars. We're going to look at some of the essential Obi-Wan episodes of Clone Wars dropping this Thursday. So on draft day, you can listen to that podcast. You can check out the Sky Guys podcast feed for all of that. Just search for the Sky Guys, all the usual suspects. You'll find it there. Also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That is M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week, we're going to do our big NFL draft recap. Who won? Who lost? What the locals do? And more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.